Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Sermon of the Week. In this week's message, Senior Pastor Marvin Lindsay explains why setting limits on our use of technology can be beneficial for our relationship with God. His sermon is based on Mark 1, 35-39. For more information about our congregation, visit our website, www.fpccolumbia.org. are at work and you call tech support, do they answer the phone saying, tech support, have you tried unplugging it and plugging it in again? Uh, if you do, it's, it's not an original uh, quote. It's just because uh, that was said once upon a time in that British TV show, The IT Crowd, and everybody in tech support has watched that. Like It's on like a continuous loop in their office, and so they, they quote that back to you. But they also say it because it's true. I mean, 90% of computers can be fixed if you just power them down for a few minutes and then turn them back on. We had this situation in the office this week. Nancy, one of Nancy's screens uh, was just like, it was all like lines, like orange and yellow and pink lines. And then it just died. And we were going to uh, have to buy a new screen, but we just turned the computer off. We unplugged everything. We unplugged everything back in, turned the computer on. It didn't work. But then we did that again. And the second time, it worked. So, uh, you know, we didn't have to buy a new screen, didn't have to call uh, our tech support people and have them come out and charge us $130 to, you know, unplug our uh, screen and put it back together. It was good. Um, And along this vein, uh, you're kind of like computers. Uh, The author, Anne Lamont, was uh, quoted as saying once, almost anything can be fixed by unplugging it for a few minutes, including you. So... If you are worn out and broken down by two years of pandemic and two years of racial and social and political strife and now nuclear saber rattling, which we thought we had left behind 35 years ago, have you tried unplugging yourself for a little while and then plugging back in? It might be something worth considering. Now, what are we talking about when we say the word unplug? What we mean is a conscious decision to uh, put our electronic devices down to reduce the amount of media that we consume, especially social media, so that that time and energy can be filled with something else, filled with a connection with God and filled with a connection and compassion for all the things that God has created. Now, uh, we have to admit that unplugging is a non-biblical spiritual practice. And the reason why it's non-biblical is because there were no plugs in the first century. So Jesus never said in the Bible, thou shalt unplug from thy devices. Because, you know, they had no plugs, they had no devices in the first century. But just because it's a non-biblical practice doesn't mean that it's an unbiblical practice. Uh, Unplugging from electronic devices and from social media is kind of like the spiritual disciplines of fasting and observing Sabbath rest, which you know are time-honored and deeply biblical practices. When we fast, we say no to food so that we can be filled with a different kind of nourishment that comes from God's Word or from prayer. And when we take a day off from work, uh, we abstain from work because our bodies need rest and because our souls need to worship. And in the same way, unplugging from electronic devices or from media is a way to say no to something so that we can be filled in different ways and that we can give of ourselves to other people. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of the technological world that we live in. Uh, 
I want to talk a little bit about why there should be some cause for concern, despite the fact that there are pros and cons, and why abstaining from these devices and from this uh, information for a while might be a good idea. And then I want to turn to the gospel passage from Mark, which I think gives us some indirect guidance about how to do this, and more importantly, about why to do this. And then I want to close with some practical tips that you can choose from to, uh, if you want to enact the spiritual discipline in your own life. So first of all, uh, we need to give technology its due. This is my uh, kind of battered iPhone 8. Laura's been getting on me to replace it because, you know, the, you know it's cracked and I, I need a better camera, she says. My, my camera just takes terrible pictures. But it's really handy. You know, I use my iPhone to pay bills. I use my iPhone to do banking. Uh, I use my iPhone to pray the prayer of illumination before we read the scripture. Uh, I use uh, Facebook on my iPhone to reconnect with my friends from high school. I use um, uh, Twitter on my iPhone to stay up to date with commentary from academics and from journalists and from politicians. And, and uh, there's a different kind of technology I have at home. It's, it's a Roku TV. And uh, it's wonderful because I can just see so many more movies and television shows on it than I could on that big TV in our den in the 1970s. Remember how they were like made to look like pieces of furniture? And we got the three networks and PBS from our rooftop antenna. So what's the problem? This technology is great. Well, the problem is I have reconnected with all my friends from high school who are Carolina fans. And, you know, after 250 hot takes about Will Smith slapping Kid Rock, I mean, am I really a better person for, for you know, getting all that commentary? And as for all of those TV channels, all that means is I've got more garbage now than I had when I was a kid in the 1970s, including those garbage shows that I watched when I was a kid because it was 90 degrees outside and I'd rather watch garbage TV than go outside where it was hot and, uh, and miserable. But there are other issues as well. Social scientists study our use of information technology, and they, they have identified two issues in particular that have popular names. One is doom scrolling. You know what doom scrolling is? You know, you're, you're, just, you're in bed, you're just kind of doing this, you're kind of doing this, you're kind of doing this. And we do this, you know, just kind of scroll through our social media feeds because either we want to be distracted from something that's causing us anxiety, or we want to get more and more information about that thing that's causing us anxiety. Because if we think if we get more and more information about it, that will give us some control over it. So we've got to read every last thing about the, the coronavirus that we can. Or we've got to read every last thing about Ukraine that we can. Because if we know every last thing, we can control the situation, right? Wrong, but that's what we think. Um, the other issue that social scientists have described uh, is known by the phrase FOMA, or fear of missing out. So let's say you have a good day at work, you come home, you have a nice dinner with the family, watch a little TV, get into bed, you open your Instagram, and then there is your coworker looking wonderful in a brand new dress. Or there is your buddy, that Carolina fan from high school, who is vacationing in Rome, or there is another one of your friends who has prepared a beautiful Frito Misto with artichokes and with fennel. And suddenly, that mac and cheese dinner you had with your family doesn't seem all that fulfilling. 
And that vacation you're going to take this summer to the Lake of the Ozarks is, you know, not all that inspiring. And you don't want to go to work tomorrow because you've got nothing to wear, right? Never mind that you can even make Burger King look good with the right filter on your camera. And never mind that your friends are never going to post their kids melting down uh, on your social media feeds. And never mind that they're not going to post... They found some Tupperware in the back of the refrigerator. They've been there for three months, and they just ate straight out of it. They're never going to put that on social media. But you think everybody's living a better life than you are because they've carefully curated their lives on social media. You feel bad about yourself. Feel bad about yourself. And this is actually confirmed by social media companies' own internal research. You may know last summer the Wall Street Journal reported that Facebook has been spending a lot of time studying how their product affects their users. And what they learned is that the more teenage, the teenage girls spend time on Instagram, the worse they feel about their self-image. And they learned also that their content rules for celebrities are applied differently than content rules for ordinary people. And they also learned that when they changed their algorithm in 2018 so that we see different kinds of stuff in our social media feeds, they learned that that produced more extreme and divisive and outrageous content on the platform. And what did they do with that information? Nothing. It had to be brought to light by journalists. So there are some real concerns about what our devices do to us and about being immersed in a world of information technology. Oh, and I just want to say, okay, if you're sitting here and you're feeling pretty smug because you don't have one of those smartphones like the kids these days, I just have two things to say to you. Number one, if you'd had a smartphone in 1955 or 1960, you'd be just like them, right? Right. And, and number two, you can doom scroll without a, uh, without a device, without a phone. You can doom, this is how you doom scroll if you don't have a smartphone. You get up in the morning, and the first thing you do before you make coffee, before you say your prayers, is turn on cable news. And the last thing you do at night, before you go to bed, after you've said your prayers and had a nightcap, is turn off the cable news. And it doesn't matter which cable channel you're watching. You're just, you're just getting, uh, like, when breaking news and, uh, and disaster becomes the audio-visual background wallpaper of your life, you're not really more informed than your fellow citizens, but you may be angrier. You may be more anxious. You may be more pessimistic about the world than is justified. So we're all, this is a problem for all of us. And I think that the gospel lesson points to some solutions. So in the gospel lesson, we see, as Audra so nicely laid out, uh, Jesus has a big day uh, in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. He walks into the synagogue, he preaches a sermon that astounds the worshipers, and it drives to distraction one man who was demon-possessed. And he blurts out something, and Jesus silences the demon and casts him out. And then he goes to Simon Peter's house, and Simon Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. And so he heals her. And then word gets out. And that evening, everybody in town with a cough, everybody in town with a fever, everybody in town with a a bum leg, everybody in town with voices in their head, they are all brought to Jesus' door, and he's healing them. And then the next morning, 
the gospel lesson begins. He gets up, he sneaks out of town, he finds a place by himself where nobody can find him to pray. And finally, the disciples do find him, and they say, everybody's looking for you. And he says, it's time to move on, because there are other places that need to hear my preaching, because that is what I was sent to do. Now, there is a New Testament professor uh, at Garrett Evangelical Seminary in Chicago, whose name escapes me now. But he says that from this two-day pattern, you can kind of discern four principles that inform the Son of God's earthly ministry. The first is that Jesus avoids celebrity. Jesus avoids celebrity. So in Mark's gospel, when he casts out demons, he does not permit them to speak because they know who he is and he doesn't want the word to get out. When he heals people, he often tells them, don't tell anybody I did this for you. He doesn't want word to get out. And when he draws a crowd, no sooner does he draw a crowd than in this morning's gospel reading, he sneaks away. He gets away from the crowd. Jesus did not come to be an Instagram influencer. Jesus did not come to get 250,000 followers on Twitter. Jesus did not come to pack out a room. Jesus came for two reasons. He came to preach the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that requires us to turn from our sins and turn back to God. And he came to show compassion to people who are hurting, people who are sick, people who are ostracized from society. And I think that that's a powerful lesson for us. In Jesus' earthly ministry, the numbers rose and fell. At one point, thousands were following him. When he was nailed to a cross, it was down to three. Now it's up to a couple of billion throughout the world. The point is that Jesus didn't try to draw a crowd. It wasn't about fame and fortune and celebrity for him. It was about preaching the good news and healing the sick. And when he invites us to follow him, that's where he invites us to focus our attention on the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand and on the mandate to show compassion to those who are hurting. Second thing is Jesus uh, recognizes his limits. He's got limits. Even the Son of God can't keep going healing and ministering to those in need 24-7. So he steps aside for some time to be recharged, to pray, to receive that strength and that guidance and that comfort that he needs from his Father in heaven so that the next day he can preach the good news and the next day he can respond with compassion. So if the Son of God needs some time away from a noble uh, calling like preaching and healing, how much more do we need time away from those things that distract us or cause us fear or cause us anxiety? Uh, You know the the old saying, uh, you hear it every time you get on an airplane, uh, if there's an emergency, put your own oxygen mask on first, and then you can put the oxygen mask of your neighbor on. And so that is what unplugging is really about. It's about taking a step back from the world and from the anxieties and the distractions in it so that we can be filled with some life-giving sustenance from on high so that we can return and engage the world as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. What's the third thing? I can't remember the third thing. Oh, no, can't remember the third thing. So I'll go on to the fourth thing. The fourth thing is that Jesus invests in people who can't repay him. Jesus invests in people who can't repay him. Jesus spends his time healing the sick 
And in those days, there was a, a tight connection drawn between sickness and sin. If you were sick, if you were disabled, people thought you must have done something to incur that problem on you. And so there was a, a, people who were sick were socially stigmatized. Jesus spent his time with stig- stigmatized people. Lepers were kept separate from society in the belief that they could contaminate society. Jesus spent his time healing lepers. Demon-possessed people were an extraordinary problem, feared and loathed. Jesus spent his time casting out demons. He spent his time investing in people who couldn't repay him. None of these people were going to make a pledge to his ministry. None of these people were necessarily going to follow him. In fact, sometimes Jesus turns them away when they want to stay close to him, and he says, no, go, go elsewhere. But because he invests his energy in people who can't repay him, the movement grows. And that's why we serve meals at Lowe's and Fishes, and that's why we host Room at the Inn, and that is why we give to refugee relief efforts in Ukraine, and that is why our congregation has adopted an Afghan refugee family. Not because there's something in it for us, but simply because they're in need. Jesus gives himself away, and when we follow him, he teaches us to give ourselves away as well. So that is what an unplugged life looks like. We step away from things for a time. We unplug ourselves from the world and from its needs and from its distractions. We plug ourselves into God so that we can return to the world equipped and empowered to be God's faithful servants in the world, sharing the love of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you now like just a, a couple of things that you might want to consider if you want to make unplugging a spiritual discipline. Unplugging is really about boundaries, you know. Uh, and in that respect also, it's like other spiritual disciplines. We fast not because food is bad. We fast because we want to be filled with God's Word. And so we abstain from our devices and from social media for a time, not because it's all bad, but because we want to give some time to other things that nourish our souls. So that when we are online, or when we are engaged in the world, we can be engaged as loving and faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. So set some boundaries. Here's one boundary I want you to think about. Make your bedroom a device-free room. Okay, Make your bedroom a device-free room. That's so that uh, the first word that you hear in the morning is not Joe Scarborough. And the last word you hear at night is not Rachel Maddow or Sean Hannity. Maybe the first word you hear in the morning is the word of God, because there's a a Bible on your nightstand and you pick it up and you read it. Maybe the last word you hear at night is the word of God, because that Bible is still there and you pick it up and you read it. They also say that uh, that blue light on your device, it keeps you awake at night. So one thing that you might want to consider is making your bedroom a device-free room. Set that boundary. Or another thing that you might want to do is set some boundaries on when you check into media. Say, I'm going to look at the news one time a day. You know, and the, the news platform can be anything. It can be you know, opening up a physical newspaper. It could be reading the news on a tablet. But do it once a day, and then you're informed. Don't go back, because it's just going to make you anxious. And do the same thing with social media. Whether your favorite social media platform is TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, check your social media profiles once a day. Once is enough. 
you know, you, you've seen crazy cat pictures on Facebook. You've, you, you've seen the Carolina fans crowing. That's, like, that's enough for a century. Um, you've seen it. And now it's time to move on. A third boundary you might want to set is making your dining room a device-free room. When you come and sit down at the table, don't bring your phone. Be fully present to the people that are around the table. Be fully present to the food that you're about to receive. Be fully present to the people who brought that food to your table, whether they're ranchers, farmers, farm workers, grocery store checkout clerks, truck drivers, people who work at feed mills. Be fully present to them. Now remember, the purpose of giving something up for Lent is not just to make yourself miserable. You set a limit, you set a boundary, so that you can be present to something else. So think about, what am I going to fill this time with that I usually fill with checking email or scrolling through my social media feeds? Fill it with prayer. Fill it with reading scripture. Fill it with getting outside and experiencing God in nature. Fill it with an act of compassion for someone who is in need. What if, what if we all did this? You know, what if we all set some limits on the ways that we use technology so that we can be more open to God's life-giving spirit and more open to our neighbors in need? I think we would live in a world that is a little less anxious, a little less angry. I think that we would live lives that are less trivial and less distracted, more meaningful, more difference-making. And that, in fact, is what we are called to be, disciples making a difference. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. If you found this message helpful, please give this podcast a five-star rating and share it with your friends and family. And consider making an offering to the mission and ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Columbia, Missouri. Go to www.ftccolumbia.org and click on the gift tab at the top of the page. Your gift will help to feed the hungry, house the homeless, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you.